0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. If people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at one 800 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Boy, this market's got some real memory and impulse control issues when it comes to tech. That's how you get a day like today, with the Dow climbing 175 points, S&P advancing 0.68%, and the Nasdaq gaining 1.15%. Look, I'm not saying the stock market is a severe case of attention deficit disorder, not that there's anything wrong with that. But when you look up the symptoms, attention, difficulty, hyperactivity, impulsiveness, that's a perfect description for the action in the tech stocks this earnings season. Just look at the ones that rallied today. Let's start with Apple. At the beginning of the year, Apple pre-announced a weak quarter. I mean, wow. And it was primarily, of course, because of cell phones, a gigantic decline in Chinese iPhone sales. That caused a major freakout. And the stock briefly traded down to 10 times six years. or says to 10 times. As usual, I said, own it, don't trade it. But you know what people did. All right. Then on January 8th, with the stock at $150, down 35% from its early October highs, I sat down with CEO Tim Cook, and he outlined all of the long-term positives that Apple has going for it, especially all of the health and wellness applications for the new watch. Cook made it very clear that, once again, the obituaries about Apple were totally premature. The stock had been incorrectly written off, and that's when you want to buy it. Buy, 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 buy! Sure enough, when Apple reported last week, Tim made a point of telling me and Josh Lipton that sales were better in January. That made me believe the stock had put in a bottom, unless the Trump administration breaks off its trade talks with China, as that's still a major piece of business. On the conference call, Cook made it crystal clear that outside of China, Apple sales were excellent, although it was very hard to see because of the strong dollar. They said the watch was supply constrained. Hey, high-quality problem. But the potential benefits to the healthcare system, oh, they're so obvious. Apple also laid our fears about the service revenue stream, some worried that it was slowing, but it remained very robust. Now this morning JP Morgan published a note pointing to a bunch of potential acquisitions, potential being the operative word, that could keep Apple's service stream growing. You know we want that to happen if you're long it. Activision Blizzard. Sonos, Netflix, they were the most prominent suggestions. i got to admit, they kind of caught me by surprise. I pushed hard for Apple to buy Netflix back when it was trading at 25 bucks. They didn't want to do it then. I doubt they want to do it at $351. How about Activision? Well, the video game kingpins had a series of weak quarters, and I can't think of a reason why Apple would want to align themselves with Activision's declining business or the broader video game industry, which also appears to be slowing. Hey, negative numbers from Sony last night. Sonos? Oh, Sonos. I mean, come on. Does that move the needle? No. I think the idea of acquiring a home sound system company for a couple billion dollars would be very poorly perceived. Kind of like the, uh, I think that the headphones were poorly perceived. Some might even view this as desperate, and Apple's not desperate at all. Regular viewers know how I feel about this one. If Apple wants to grow its service revenue stream, I think it should double down on healthcare. I want them to buy whatever companies they need so that I can have all my medical records from all different hospitals on this device. Given that Apple stock is up more than 20 bucks since we spoke to Tim Cook, I sure hope that something's going on here besides the possibility of positive trade talks. We saw the same kind of whiplash behavior in the stock of Facebook. Before the social media titan reported, the conventional wisdom was that the users had turned on Facebook for its nefarious behavior. There was a feeling this was a failed place to come together, a sense of community going awry, the headlines unrelentingly negative, and to be fair, they deserve the bad publicity. Yes, Facebook did a lot of shady stuff. But when we saw the numbers, we realized, well, it didn't matter to the people who do matter, which are the users. More than two billion people use some form of Facebook every day. The advertisers love them, it seems, more than ever. You may hate Facebook. I think a lot of people do, but it's not going anywhere this ain't MySpace. Facebook's not a social network. It's the social network. Instagram Stories is the hot product, and its stock turned out to be the steal in the tech group. Then there's Microsoft. Often I like to read conference calls in a vacuum. I don't try to pay attention to uh, how the stock reacts, so I can write my own independent judgment before I see, oh, the stock's down. Must have been a bad call, right? So last week I read the transcript of Microsoft call in a vacuum. I saw tremendous growth in Azure, their cloud platform. However, I also read that a chip shortage put a crimp in the company's personal computer business, which kept them from blowing away their numbers. Now, I've been following that chip shortage for Intel for ages. I look at Intel, I look at AMD, HP Inc., as well as a gaming company I'm close to that's trying to build out a national network of game sites. Nobody seems to get the chips that they need. Uh, they need the chips for their dreams to come true. So the chip issue wasn't surprising. Somehow, though, it surprised the people who owned Microsoft, which is why they unceremoniously bailed out on it. To me, that's a huge mistake. You shouldn't sell Microsoft because of its temporary short-term issue when the long-term story, particularly Azure, is so strong. Sure enough, the stock rallied nicely today. And how about Amazon? Closed up 7 bucks after its hideous almost 100-point decline Friday. This one is tougher. There were two things that brought out sellers here. The new rule in India that seemed designed to hinder Amazon and Walmart's Flipkart, and worries that the gross margins in the retail business may have peaked. No one seemed to notice the dominance of Amazon's web services. Remember that? That was supposed to matter. Uh-uh. No one cared about the growth of the advertising business. That was supposed to matter. Uh-uh. The sellers were focused solely on the retail gross margins and Amazon's inability to make up for the difference uh, by raising the price a Prime again because it just did. Look, I think Amazon's like the Patriots. Two years ago, the Pats beat the Falcons. Then last year, they lost a heartbreaker to my beloved Eagles. Then they won again last night in a tour de force, albeit boring game. Do you think that Belichick just kept the same game plan that he used against the Eagles last year? Of course not. So why would you assume that Jeff Bezos won't change his game plan? Come up with something new. He'll adjust to the gross margin pressure. He'll figure out another way to win. That's what he does. But you're not giving him any credit with the stock at these prices. Of course, that does require patience, something that's a real short supply of this market. That's good news for anyone who's willing to think long-term and buy high-quality stocks in the week. So let me throw one more at you, okay? Alphabet. Now, here's a company that's coining money. That's, uh, there's always something wrong with a key metric that ends up driving operating margins down, even as they beat the top and tonight the bottom line. The stock then gets clobbered, the technicians declare a head-and-shoulders top, and things stay ugly for a couple of weeks. And then it announces some exciting innovation. It's off to the races again, helped by a gigantic stock buyback. If you can sell Alphabet, now it's G-O-O-G-L, but if you can sell it down 10 and buy it back down 25, go knock yourself out. Do that all day. Others, why not just own it and stop renting it every quarter? Take a look at what it's done over the last 10 years. The bottom line, everyone who dumped out Apple or Facebook or Microsoft earlier this earnings season now has a serious case of seller's remorse. I think the same could be the case with Amazon and Alphabet soon, too. Don't be distracted by short-term problems that can vanish overnight, like we saw with these winners. Focus on the long-term, and the next time one of these terrific stocks sells off, then you know it's a time to buy, not sell. Rick in Arizona, Rick! Uh, Hi, Jim, and thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, I'm thinking there's something unholy about the escalating equity prices within the cell phone chip sector, But
1: mm-hmm. I'm hoping you can provide a more intelligent explanation. Okay. The, uh, the phone chip suppliers have heard the guidance and are living the results of Apple's last quarter, Right, yet their prices are still heading upward against common logic. For a SkyWorks Solution, is there enough
0: Internet of Things and other non-phone device demands out there? to support Skyworks' current price uptrend from the mid-November low? All right, well, first, it's a great question, Rick, and I would tell you why Skyworks is going up is not what you think. Skyworks is going up because it's a great 5G play, and people feel that all the re- weakness in Apple is in the stock, but none of the 5G is in the stock. So that's why people own it. It does seem to, I think, come down enough that you can, that you can certainly buy the stock and then buy some more if it goes lower. Let's go to Joe in Michigan, please. Joe. Booyah, Jim. Joe. yeah. Uh, I'm a senior in college, and I'm working on my senior valuation project. Okay. With spices. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering what your thoughts are about the company going forward. Um, I'm a little concerned the company's down 11% this year after they reported fourth quarter earnings, and management came out, lowered guidance for 2019. Um, I was also a little concerned looking at the balance sheet. Um, they're a pretty debt-heavy company after their acquisition of Frenches and Franks. Should this be a concern going forward? Oh, for McKesson, uh, uh, I mean, for McCormick, uh, I, I like McCormick down here. I, it, it ran too much. Uh, it was considered to be disappointing. They did not have the growth that I'd like. I think the stock's in the penalty box, frankly. Let's go to Alex in New Jersey, please. Alex. Oh, yeah, from the Jersey Shore, Jim. How are uh, you doing today? Oh Man, just talked Jersey Shore extensively this weekend. I'm good. How about you? I'm doing all right. I, I'm going to get your second opinion on a stock, if that's all right. Sure. So, all right, this this stock was uh on a steady uptrend when Berkshire Hathaway announced they took a position in it. But uh it's been on a heavy downtrend recently, especially since it required uh I'm sorry, acquired Pandora Radio. So uh, Sirius XM, ticker S I R I, what do you think of that? Uh, yeah, it is clearly stalled. I still like the product. I still think it's good. I think the Pandora acquisition... Uh, let me do this. I'd like them to come on. I've not liked it since the Pandora acquisition. And I did like it, as you know, for two, three, four, five, six. But this Pandora acquisition's got me flummoxed. They have to come on and explain it to me. Let's go to Ed in Virginia, please. Ed. Big booyah, Jim. Here's my question. Tandem diabetes, TNDM, originally priced over 200 Sell to two hundred and fifty. Animus closed their doors. Now Tandem is picking up their uh, where they left off and opening up markets overseas. Do you think Tandem will reach two hundred again? I don't know. I think Tandem is a very good company. I don't know if you get back to two hundred. By the way, when I talk about what the uh, what Apple could buy that would really help them in the healthcare segment, I just mistakenly neglected that if they could somehow do a merger with Dexcom, that would be really unbelievable too. All right. The market can't stay focused, which produces daylights today. It's easy to forget why you sold, but it's it's really key to remember the people who are selling Alphabet now will try to buy it back uh, 25 points from now. I think that's gonna be hard to do. It's it's just a difficult thing to do especially if the, for the company that good. Well, man, money tonight, you'll probably have its products in your pantry right now. But after today's earnings, can Clorox help you clean up in this market? My exclusive with the CEO just added. What a great stock today. Then you know what they say, a powerful tree gives rise to strong branches. I'm telling you how Salesforce's dominance in the tech space spans beyond the company itself. And Invisalign's become a household word. But as Align Technology pricing for competition? I'm eyeing the company after its recent decline. So stay with Last week, I told you that when the stocks of high-quality companies sell off going into earnings, they become like coiled springs, ready to jump higher on any good news. And that's exactly what happened to Clorox today. After pulling back over the previous couple of weeks, as money, as money rotated out of the defensive consumer packaged good stocks, this thing was primed to roar higher if they gave you a good number. Sure enough, Clorox reported a nice 10 cent earnings beat off a dollar thirty basis with inline revenue and solid guidance. Management was able to cut costs and raise prices in order to post its margins. Post up its margins. And I've got to tell you something, that's precisely what we were looking for: a boost. And no wonder the stock surged $8.52 or 5.69% today. Can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Ben Odora, the chairman and CEO of Clorox, get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Odora, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Thank you, Jim. It's good to be back.
0: All right, Ben, it looks like a combination of innovation and tremendous marketing uh, and also just a lot of cost-cutting, which I know you're great at, gave you that return that you predicted when people were concerned earlier last year. You predicted it could all come together. This was the quarter where it came together, wasn't it?
1: This was a strong quarter for Clorox with 4% sales growth and importantly, a return to gross margin expansion, which is so important to us. We leaned into... Pricing to offset uh, cost uh, increases very aggressively, and that's been paying off for our shareholders, which is why we have been able to confirm our sales and earnings outlook. We're on track for another strong fiscal year, and we're also confident in our ability to continue to drive uh, shareholder return in the long term.
0: So how does it work better? You're number one or two, mostly number one in every single category. Uh, Resin prices really played havoc. So you were able to get price. Now, I know from the resin companies that I deal with that resin's coming down a bit. You won't roll back price because you're number one and the customers love your product. So does that just mean for the rest of the year we're going to see bigger and bigger expansion?
1: Well, you know, our cost increases were really uh, just uh, price increases were cost uh, justified. And that's still true today. We have a lot of costs, resin and others that are up, and we have a lot of leading brands that consumers love that offer strong value to consumers, which is why we took pricing confidently, and it's going well, and that's... A key reason why we were able to grow mo- gross margin again and why we're able to put ourselves in a position to have another strong fiscal year for our shareholders.
0: I was kind of amazed. At me- I know you have about 17 percent international. Everyone else has really been whacked by the uh, the incredibly strong dollar. But I didn't really see it when I went over your numbers. and I think that's a good sign because I do see it in pretty much everybody else's numbers.
1: You know, currencies was a big factor for us. Uh, we grew in uh, uh, currency-neutral terms, but uh, we had a 16-point sales headwind uh, in international. But international is only 17% of our business, which is why, as a whole, our company has done so well. We continue to invest in the U.S. That's our home turf. Mm -hmm. We're particularly strong, and while it's not an easy market to do business either— it's a very strong and solid and stable market and the consumer overall is in a good shape. Our categories are growing and we're winning with the consumer in the U.S. That's been our history and that's our future. And uh, we like to invest in the U.S. And that's a big reason why we're doing so well, well right now.
0: I-, I love the growth in Burt's Bees. I love the tremendous growth uh, in the in the pipeline from the fir- fr- uh, fiscal year 2018. But I was confused then about the renew life decline. Uh, and the category, given the fact that I now see you in a major drugstore chain that I didn't used to see you in?
1: Yeah, Renew Life, we have some work to do. Uh, Renew Life was down uh, in the quarter, but we're seeing a lot of green shoots right now. We're growing market share for the first time in two years with the largest customer in the natural channel. We're also growing in e-commerce. We're going double digits, and we're growing market share in that channel. That is the fastest-growing channel in this business. And importantly, now that we have made the Nutronext acquisition also in vitamins, mineral supplements. We're able to merchandise Renew Life together with those other brands, creating merchandising scale. And that is giving us lifts up to 2x and partially even more. So, you know, some green shoots on Renew Life with more work to do, but it's a very solid business. It's a very strong consumer need. We have a differentiated brand with differentiated technology, and a lot of hope and confidence in that business for the future.
0: Now, of the new products I see coming, uh, there's a tremendous Burt's Bees Body Wash, obviously first half this year. HVR Ready to Eat Dips? What's in those?
1: Yeah, you know, Hidden Valley is such a great brand, and in Hidden Valley, there's really only a question, do you love it or do you really love it? And we're now giving consumers more reasons to really love uh, Hidden Valley. If you think about Hidden Valley, historically, it's competed in the salad dressing category. That's a $2 billion category, and we're the market leader there. But today, about 70% of all the consumer uses are outside salad dressing. They use it as a condiment, chicken wings. Pizza, uh, healthy snacks with salads, you know, vegetables. And the dipping category is another $2 billion category that's growing at a 6% clip. And what we're essentially doing is giving consumers more access to Hidden Valley and giving them new ways of uh, eating the Hidden Valley that they love. So this is a great uh, new innovation with three flavors, ready-to-eat dips from Hidden Valley. It's uh, customer reception so far has been very positive and early signs in the market are too. So more ways for consumers to love Hidden Valley and more ways to grow for the Clorox company.
0: Uh, what a great idea. Now, last question again, e-commerce, you've been the best in terms of seeing where the customer is. You're just continuing to put more dollars. Is that uh, Google? Is it Facebook? Is it uh, just a combination of everything? Because that point, that point of purchase is so amazing as a place to be.
1: E-commerce and omni-channel is a very important part of the future in our business, and as Clorox, we're investing very aggressively in it. Uh, We're continuing to see very strong growth on the e-commerce sales side, it'll be about 8% of sales, total company sales this fiscal year, which I think is at an industry-leading level. And we're also, I think, the only company in our space that's investing the majority of our marketing dollars right now online, whether that's in social or in other areas. So we're investing with confidence because the returns are strong. So we'll keep doing it and stay in the course, knowing that that's a big part of the future in our industry.
0: Well, congratulations uh, on the great quarter, of which, again, you did predict to our viewers. Good to see you, sir. That's Ben O'Doris, chairman and CEO of Clorox. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Mad Money's back to the break. Now that the most boring, soporific Super Bowl in history is behind us, Teams are already reshuffling their coaches in preparation for the next season. And that's what I want to focus on tonight, because coaching a whole football team isn't a whole lot different from running a publicly traded company. For example, Zach Taylor, the 35-year-old quarterback's coach of the Rams, was just named head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. If you don't follow football, that's a huge promotion, especially for a young guy who doesn't really have a lengthy resume. But true football fans recognize that this hire is less about Taylor himself and more about his boss, the Rams head coach, Sean McVay who got his team to the Super Bowl in his second year on the job. He's 33. The, The man's a savant. And the Bengals are hiring one of his lieutenants because they believe in the McVay coaching tree. They believe in the pedigree. Hey, same deal with former Patriots linebacker coach Brian Flores. He just snared the Dolphins coaching job. An assistant coach taught by Bill Belichick is a coach that you might want to hire. The coaching tree is a pretty simple concept. If you hire top assistant coaches who've learned firsthand from the most successful leaders in the game, they'll be able to take that knowledge with them. So why the heck am I talking about this? Because whenever I hear some commentator talk about the NFL coaching tree, I think to myself, why can't we apply the same analysis to the business world? What if it could help us pick winning stocks? We know that there are some incredible CEOs out there who, in addition to creating enormous value for their shareholders, have also trained some very impressive disciples. Inevitably, some of these disciples leave to run companies of their own. Over time, what you get is an executive tree similar to the NFL coaching tree. For example, J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon has been a terrific incubator of talent. Dimon himself actually represents one branch of the Sandy Wilde executive tree because the legendary former Citigroup CEO is the one who trained him. Eventually, the relationship soured. Diamond ended up at JPM, and they became competitors. They're like the Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells of the financial industry. In recent years, Diamond's executive tree has really exploded. I mean, you got his lieutenants all over the place. Like just Staley, the CEO of Barclays, Frank Bisignano, the CEO of First Data, who just sold his company to Pfizer, Michael Cavanaugh, the current CFO of Comcast, parent company of this network. Hey, that's very impressive. But the best executive tree I can think of descends from that of Mark Benioff. Visionary founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Salesforce.com. Regular viewers already know how Salesforce revolutionized the enterprise software industry. Hey, they practically invented the software-as-a-service model that's now become so ubiquitous and the stock has become a spectacular long-term performer. Uh, another great move today. And By the way, that whole, the, all of our cloud kings had a gigantic move. However, what you may not know is that Mark Benioff's got a real knack for fostering talent. Consider it his grad school. And when his lieutenants move on to run other companies, they have a habit of delivering some incredible performance for their investors themselves. When it comes to Benioff's executive tree, there are four main branches. First, you've got Teen Zhu, who was Salesforce.com's 11th employee, the first chief marketing officer and its chief strategy officer. After spending nine years there, Zhu uh, left to uh, found his own business, Zora which just came publicly last April. Oh, this is a great story. At Salesforce, 14 realized that the subscription economy would be the next big thing. These days, everybody wants to turn their products into a subscription service for a nice, steady revenue stream. Great article today uh, in the Times about how if you don't have a sub-business, you're really hurting. That ad business is not so great. So Sue created Zora, and that is a company that helps other businesses launch, manage, and grow their subscription services. Hey, we got a bunch of them at the street, including my travel trust, which you can follow along by joining the Plus.com club. And Zora helps us optimize all that. They do a great job. Now, Zora's stock got pummeled in the second half of last year, like every other cloud play, but it's already rebounded nearly 40% from its December lows, and I think it's got a lot more room to run. Remember, Tzu literally wrote the book on the subscription economy called Subscribed, and the numbers here have been downright incredible. I don't want to diminish Tzu's own accomplishments, but he had a brilliant idea here. It's really, what first draw me attention to it is his corporate pedigree the Benioff executive tree. It's one of the reasons I've been such a big believer in Zora. I don't like that Goldman Sachs sell recommendation the other day. It seemed seemed misplaced to me. Next branch in the Benioff tree, Peter Gastner, He's the founder and CEO of Viva Systems, who used to be Salesforce.com's senior vice president of technology, where he helped build their whole platform. Here's another great example of a Salesforce exec applying his experience to a new industry. Viva makes cloud-based software for the pharma, biotech, and life science industry. It dominates! Their platform helps pharmaceutical sales reps become more effective, captures clinical trial data, and makes it easier for the clients to comply with government regulations, of which we know there's a ton. Now, we've been recommending this stock for ages, and it's been a huge winner, up more than 370% over the past three years. The sustained long-term growth here has been phenomenal. There were a lot of shorts were all over it. They got crushed. Much like, uh, well, Salesforce.com, Gasser's background as a Benioff acolyte was among the reasons I started recommending it ages ago and stuck with it despite the shorts all over it. In fact, the first time we spoke with him was at Salesforce.com's annual Dreamforce conference in 2013. We always go out to that. I'm still a believer. Although, with the stock making a new all-time high, I mean, look, sure, of course, wait for a pullback. The third branch of the Benioff tree, well, you probably might be familiar with this face from just watching it. It's Todd McKinnon, the co-founder and CEO of Okta, O-K-T-A, who served as the head of engineering at Salesforce for more than five years as the company grew from handling 2 million transactions a day to 150 million. Okta is another cloud-based software company that helps others' businesses protect their networks from hackers. They handle everything related to their login and verification credentials, usernames, passwords, your mother's maiden name, the whole nine yards. Listen to what he told us the last time we spoke to him just a couple of weeks ago.
1: I worked at Salesforce. It's not a coincidence. Uh, I worked at Salesforce for six years. Um, I basically learned the ropes of cloud computing from Mark and the entire team at Salesforce. Um, and uh, so it's not—it's not a
0: shock that there's a lot of similarities there. Okta's oh, growth has been explosive. I like Okta. One of our cloud princes. and the stock simply quadrupled—it's uh, quintupled. Nearly quintupled since it came public in April 2017. While well, it got slammed like everything else in the fourth quarter, it's made a miraculous recovery, and it's been setting fresh all-time highs in the past few weeks. Okta is another company I adore, when I think you should wait for a pullback if you don't already own the stock. Finally, there's Twilio, T W L O. Where the chief operating officer, George Yu, and that's H-U, also serves as COO and chief marketing officer at Salesforce, among a bunch of other roles. Yet, you know, when he was, you know, he, when he was at Salesforce, I'm sorry. While Twilio wasn't actually found, founded by a Salesforce alum, he's done a terrific job as COO. And it's not hard to see how his experience has helped the company advance its mission of helping other businesses connect with their customers. Remember, Twilio's platform is what allows your Uber driver to call or text you when they're about to pick you up. Sure enough, the stock has rallied more than 250% since George Yu joined the company in March of 2015 after leaving uh, 2017 after leaving Salesforce. Another win for the Benioff executive tree. The bottom line, the next time you hear about the concept of the coaching tree in the NFL, remember the same rules can apply to the business world. When you're trying to pick stocks, look for networks of executives who've learned from the best. Because as we see with the former disciples of a guy like Mark Benioff at Salesforce, they can give you some fabulous gains. Let's go to Hank in Texas. Hank! Booyah, Jim! What's up? from the sparkling city, Corpus Christi, Texas. Well, there you go. It's right where all the oil and plastics action is. How can I help?
1: Oh, believe it, my man. So, uh, first-time uh, first caller, long-time listener. My name is Hank. I'm 29 years old, and I'm calling about Tesla. Uh, they probably have to pay off about $920 million in debt with cash, so their stock ain't going to get that high. Their CFO's turning over. Rumor has it that sales are a little bit down during the winter. Of course, on the other hand, we got between Europe and China. Sales are probably coming up for the long term. Maybe even have a trade deal soon. Right. They just bought Maxwell batteries, and they're making deals with more charging stations. What do you think? Buy, well, look, I, I
0: think that Tesla is such a battleground, it is just too hard for me to opine. People who love the car love the stock. People who don't want to hate the stock. The balance sheet is bad, but they have a lot of cash from the last few quarters. But people don't believe them. I mean, it's just too hard. Uh, It's not. Look, I'm willing to call a lot of shots like, like Canopy, like Kronos, but I can't do this one. All right. The coaching tree lives and it applies to the business world. Look for networks of execs who've learned from the best. All right, much more made money at Align Technology was once a market darling. But could investment in the company leave you with a crooked smile? I'm giving you my take. Then, do semiconductors face the wicked witch of the West effect? I'll tell you if throwing water on the group could have them melting. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Well, This, this is like, ridiculous. No, I can taste that corn syrup Yeah, this now. is all, it's all corn syrup that I'm not going to drink anymore. So to the course people, memo to the course, yeah. I liked your beer until I saw the bite out. <laughs> until I <laughs> didn't know it was in it. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. You should never, ever fall in love with a stock. Stock's a piece of paper, not people. You can't let yourself become too attached because sooner or later, it will be time to sell, sell, sell. That's especially true for red-hot growth stocks, which always come with what we call an expiration date. Take Align Technologies, the maker of Invisalign, the clear removable braces that been a godsend to people who want their teeth straightened without needing to walk around with a mouthful of metal. <laughs> I've been pounding the table on this stock for ages, and its gains have been gigantic. Align was practically a permanent fixture on the list of of best-performing stocks in the S&P 500. Two years ago, it was trading in the high double digits. Now it's at 244. However, the fourth quarter was absolutely brutal for Align Technology. During a time when investors were already scared, the company reported a disturbing quarter that caused the stock to plummet. In late September, this thing was trading at nearly $400. By January 4, it was at $177. This is what happens when a growth stock looks like it's losing its mojo. But when a line reported again last week, even though the numbers weren't that great, the stock actually rallied after initially getting hit. Normally, when I see a stock go higher on seemingly bad news, that tells me that we've arrived at a bottom because there's no one left to sell. That's not the case this time. If you still own Align Technologies, I need you to listen to me. I think it should actually unload some of your position because I do not like where I think this company could be headed. You always want to be wary of trying to call the bottom in a growth stock that's suddenly fallen out of favor with the Wall Street Fashion Show because if the growth keeps declining, the downside could be enormous. <sighs> Remember, growth investors will pay a lot more for a company's earnings stream than value investors will, which means something like Align could have a lot more downside if the growth-oriented money managers lose interest. Why am I so worried about Align's prospects if we liking the stock for so long? One word. Competition. For most of its existence, this company had an effective monopoly on non-horrible braces. If you wanted clear, removable teeth, straighteners that no one else could even notice, well, Invisalign was like Kleenex. You know, it just Invisalign was the only standard, not just the gold standard. So the company made itself a fortune. The stock skyrocketed in the stratosphere. Of course, business was good. But in late 2017, about 40 of Align's patents expired. Suddenly, cheaper competitors entered the market, and that's exactly what happened. Invisalign is no longer the only game in town. 3M has been investing heavily in their own clarity aligners. 3M, big brand name, trying to get a bigger piece of the dental business. It will raise their margins if they do. As CFO uh, Nicholas Gangsted said on the conference call last week, our 3M Clarity Clear Tray Aligners launch continues to build momentum. Holy cow, that's not what you want to hear if you're a shareholder of a line. Meanwhile, a German company called Straumann, has been getting a lot of traction from dentists as opposed to orthodontists with its own uh, competing product. Remember, dentists need something else in their arsenal. Clear Connect is their product. Danaher recently launched their own version, too, as did Dentply, Sirona, Dentply, Serona, Danaher, Straumann, uh, it's too much, particularly with 3M being involved. Now, Align still has a huge-installed base of and orthodontists who are familiar with Invisalign. They're still the biggest brand in the space. They still have the first-mover advantage. Maybe it's an aint broke do not fix the situation, but there is an enormous difference between being the only company to sell clear braces I mean, one of several companies that sells flu races. I think it's night and day. Nothing wrecks your margins like newfound competition. Sure enough, this is exactly what we've seen from Alliance numbers. When the company reported those heinous numbers in October, what was the problem? It wasn't the sales of the earnings, which both came in slightly higher than expected, although admittedly this was Alliance's smallest beat in ages. No, the problem with the quarter was the average selling prices. Turns out even though Invisalign volumes were fabulous, the average selling prices were the worst they'd been in several quarters, especially outside the U.S. On the conference call, management repeatedly talked about the promotional environment weighing on Invisalign pricing. That's why Align gave incredibly disappointing guidance for the next quarter, much, much weaker than expected. CFO John Marici forecasted that Invisalign volumes would be up roughly 30%, but revenues would be up only increasing by 20 to 22% thanks to lower average selling prices. And I'm going to quote him here due primarily to ongoing promotional discounts. That is just terrible! If you look at the situation clinically, that's exactly what you'd expect when a bunch of companies like 3M and Danner, real titans come in and just start trying to take some share. Alina's no choice but to cut prices and offer promotions. Now, after getting slammed... During the rest of the fourth quarter, the stock took off in January, rallying 19%, as many investors figured that Align had come down too fast. They thought it was a bargain, which brings me to last week, when Align reported another dubious quarter. And after initially getting slammed, the stock ended up going higher. Once again, the company gave you a modest top and bottom line beat. But also, once again, their average selling prices for Invisalign declined by 5.4% worldwide. Declined. That means they don't have a lot of pricing pressure. Wall Street was expecting them to earn $1.19 per share next quarter. Alliance forecasted 78 to $0.84. Cents. Hideous. After the numbers came out last Tuesday night, the stock plummeted from 222 down to the low 190s in after hours trading. Once management finished the conference call, though, the losses moderated somewhat, but the stock was still down. However, it didn't take long for Alliance to rebound. The act, oh boy, all of its champions came out and they just gave it the usual huzzas. Stock only closing up 4.5% on Wednesday. So what's the heck happened here? I think there are a number of investors watching the quarter closely who felt like the stock had been excessively punished after its initial declines. So they pounced on it into weakness. Since then, Alliance has continued to climb, but I think this is actually a mistake. Their average selling prices keep falling, and the only guidance they gave on the conference call was that they'd be flat in the first quarter. However, when the analysts tried to pin down Alliance management on the conference call, they talked about a bunch of one-off issues from last year and didn't even address really the competition. I'd say... I- Well, Call me unimpressed. Look, Align technology has made many of our viewers a lot of money over the years. But an Align with competitors is a totally different story from an Align with no competitors. Throw in the fact that dentists are now forming these dental cooperatives, dental service organizations, or DSOs, to bargain for lower prices, and I don't think this is a great business to be in right now. It would be one thing if Align stock were actually cheaper, but it's not exactly a bargain. Selling for 35 times next year's earnings estimates, that's a high multiple, especially when you're concerned that the company may not be able to make the numbers. And that's something I am absolutely concerned about. So here's the bottom line for a stock that we have pushed forever. Align Technology is one of the best growth stocks around. It had a superior product and the stock deserved to soar. But now Align has a bunch of new competitors and that makes this a much less compelling story. So if you own this one, I say take advantage of this recent strength and ring the darn register. They have money's back to the point. It is time. It's time for the light It's time for the Lightroom. Play to and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Sking Daddy? Time for the lightning round because we to with Ike in Georgia. Ike. Boo 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 yeah! Wow, dude. aggressive. What's up? Hey man, I'm a long-time listener and a first-time caller. Like that. First of all, I want to thank you for
1: your educational and entertaining show. Okay. I've made a lot of mad money
0: and i am been entertained watching your show. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. My question today is on Boeing. I've been trading Boeing up
1: and down for the past several months. Looking at today's bullish move
0: and considering current strong dollar index, right? Should I sell? Well, remember, we'll you have, have to buy planes with dollars, so the dollar does not does not really impact them. It's one of only a couple of companies that have that, and I think Boeing is on its way for a multi-year move again. It's recharged, and now it's off to the races. Let's go to Bob in Massachusetts. Bob, hey Jim, Bob, calling from uh, Boston and long-time listener and celebrating the Patriots' win last you night. You deserve it. <laughs> Question on Gulfport Energy Corporation. Is it a good way to play the oil industry? You know, I am so soured on the oil patch. I am simply not going to recommend that stock. I did like Exxon's quarter. I will say that. But uh, this group is just really, really hard to own. Let's go to Canyon in Texas. Canyon. doodle doo, Jim. Whoa! I like that. What's going on? Happy early birthday to you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I'm sitting here in Austin, Texas, staring at the Frost Bank Tower, and it is booming. I bought some more Frost after it fell on earnings. Do you think it's time for Frost to rev its engine? It is one of the few regional banks that I actually feel good about. You know, we keep getting downgraded, 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 of these. No one's downgrading cold Frost. Why? Because the business is very strong. I need to go to Jeff in California. Jeff. Yeah, hi Jim. I have a two-part question. Okay, two-part. Uh, five, five nine has gone way up in the last few weeks, about 29% higher. First question: Do you like the stock? I am thinking of buying several shares. Should I get in now and follow the trend, or should I wait for a big pullback? Second I, I, question: I have to do. It. I'm going to be really honest. I mean, I know Ring Central. I do not know this one. I've got to do more work on it. I cannot opine on it. So, as much as I want your two-part question, I know what I don't know. Let's go to Ed in Iowa. Ed! How you doing, Mr. Kramer? I'm good. How are you, Ed? Very well, thanks, sir. I'm interested in a stock, uh, Tyson Foods. Uh, they just got a new CEO. Uh, their earnings, I think, is coming up this Thursday, and I'm worried about the tariffs. I'm just wondering, what, what do you think about that? You Tyson know, Foods? look, uh, they report this Thursday. I think it may be a sucker's game to try to predict... And this company has become one of the most unpredictable companies in the whole country. So I am going to say that I have to wait myself to see what they're going to do. Let's go to Andrew in Missouri. Andrew. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, love the show. Third time caller. Okay. Calling back. Yeah, calling back for Duluth Trading Company. Thanks well, I got to tell you, in. all weekend, I wore my cameraman, Max Steadicam, Duluth Trading jacket. And my wife thinks it is the coolest piece of clothing that I have. And I am a huge believer. And by the way, it's warm. You can't get wet in it. I think the loose stuff is the best there is. So I'm going to say, I'm not kidding. All right, let's go to Phillip Virginia. Phillip. Hey, Jim, I hope you can hear me. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing fine. Hey, I was on your show seven years ago. Information I got from your show your show helped me out a whole lot. There you go. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, man. Hey, my question is today. Lending Club is a company that I've been helping borrowers okay. by loaning them. Lending Club. But uh, I'm not a fan. Lending Club, I don't like crowdsource lending. I think it's too dangerous. Uh, I'm going to have to say no on that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round.
1: The lightning round. Is sponsored by TD
0: Ameritrade. Right now, we've got this bizarre, I mean, truly bizarre dichotomy between the semiconductor stocks that are roaring and the stocks of the industrial companies that supply the semiconductor industry, which have been crushed by their semiconductor clients. Makers of test and measurement equipment and integrated circuit materials talked about slower orders throughout this quarter. Yet the customers, well, they say they're in great shape or they're getting to be in great shape. This is a real curious thing. What's going on here? Going into the earnings season, we knew about the weaknesses in housing and autos, two old stories that have been with us now for a while. But this quarter, we got a new pocket of weakness. The companies that make supplies for the semiconductor industry all flagged their tech divisions as sources of softness. Think Dow DuPont, 3M, Illinois Tool Works, and Honeywell. Previously, the business had been a source of strength. However, at the same time, their very customers, the actual semiconductor capital equipment makers like Lamb Research, uh, were the ones who called the bottom in tech. And that call has fueled a spectacular move higher. When Lamb rolled out its $5 billion buyback and talked about a stronger second half of the year, it's done more to ignite the semis than any other earnings report to date. Still, you gotta wonder, isn't this a dangerous contradiction? How can Lamb call a bottom? when the suppliers to LAM are signaling that the rest of the year will be soft. How can LAM be bullish on this business when 3M, Honeywell, Illinois Toolworks, and most importantly, Dow DuPont are so bearish? Maybe LAM is being too bold. The only other semiconductor play that predicted a bottom could be seen, let's say that is near at hand, was Western Digital. And even then it felt like the conclusion was forced on them by analysts, anxious to hear something positive. So what happens if the suppliers are right and we're much closer to the beginning of the semiconductor downturn than the end of it? Well that would mean that whole group has rallied way too far too fast. Something I very much fear, even as these stocks have cleared the first ceiling of resistance outlined by Carolyn Broden in last Tuesday's off the charts segment. But will the semis revisit the lows from before Lamb's bottom call? Now that I find hard to believe. In part because most of these companies have already reported. We know they're do- we know they're doing. Uh, so it's unlikely we'll get another horrific pre-announcement like the one we got from NVIDIA, although I have to admit, NVIDIA's been surprising me with its strength since that. What if we flip the question around, though? Suppose the suppliers are wrong. Maybe they're the last to turn. In that case, Honeywell, Dow, DuPont, Illinois Toolworks, 3M, they're being too negative. Now, Dow DuPont has too many problems for me to pound the table on its stock here. Illinois Toolworks gave us some not so hot growth guidance, in part because its auto business is doing poorly, although the rest of the company's fine. I think the stock's intriguing, but I'm worried it might be another shoe to fall after that downside guidance. And then again, it did rally nearly $4 today. 3M is better than, than it was a couple quarters ago, but that's not enough for me to say it's right stock for this environment, which brings me to Honeywell. Here, there were very few glitches and, and some huge pauses for aerospace and climate troubles, not to mention terrific numbers from its warehouse automation unit, which is now supposedly hostage to the suddenly hated Amazon. The thing I found most worrisome about Honeywell's quarter, yep, you guessed it, their semiconductor materials division, which had an unexpected downturn. My thing, if this rally in the semiconductor cohort is right, if it's accurately forecasting the future, then you want to buy Honeywell. But if the semis are wrong, look out below. Because I think these industrials could have even more downside and the semiconductor stocks will get slammed, too. At least with Honeywell, you have other more solid businesses to protect you from the downside. If it turns out that the worst isn't over. Stick with Kramer. All right. Let Alphabet come down. We'll deal in a couple of days. okay? like I said, there's always a mortgage somewhere. I promise I find just for you right here man, buddy. I'm Jim Kramer and I'll see you tomorrow.